one story that follows one after the other. Uh, we know like pieces here, pieces there, pieces there. We don't have like the whole puzzle together. Uh, we're right now in the middle, we're like studying Navayetze. So it's the middle of the story of Jacob. But especially I find with children, with kids that go to school, and you know, sometimes they learn like one or two parshas a year, etc., and then they learn next year, and they don't have the whole entire, the whole, the whole, yeah. And also, because there are so many things happening, like that divert your attention, and then within that there is so many different medrashim and there's so many different commentary, you lose sort of the continuation, the flow. So you have like a lot of pieces to the puzzle, but you don't know how to put the puzzle together. So I think it's, it's important sometimes to think about the whole picture and figure out. Um, I think there is a very important lesson um, in this uh, week's uh, parshas as we're going to see, um, and that's as far as the mitzvah of honoring one's parents, you know, honoring your parents. And um, we see something very interesting that Jacob, notwithstanding the fact um, that he had to leave home, and the reason he left home was because Esau wanted to uh, kill him, and his mother wanted him to go find his father, to go find the wife. So he left the house for good reasons, and um, still he wasn't there to be there to help his parents. He wasn't there to help his parents. And we know that that took place for 22 years. That is the time that he spent, and we're going to go through some of that. That's the time that he spent um, from when he left his home until he came to uh, back home to his father Yitzchak. Um, he was away for 22 years. Uh, it starts off at the beginning of this week's Parsha. It says, Vayetze. Uh, the next week is going to be Vayishlach. And at the end of Vayishlach, so Vayetze, we learn how he left. Towards the end of Vayishlach, next week's portion, we learn he finally comes back to his father. But there's a whole lot of things happened in the middle. His family, all of the tribes were born. Um, he had the encounter with Esav. Um, he had with Levin, he had, he had Esav. And then he had to deal with the Shechem, with Dina, with his daughter. And then finally he comes back home. All this took 22 years. So he ended up being away for 22 years from his father. Because he didn't give honor, he wasn't there for his parents for 22 years, actually it says he was punished that his own son Yosef was 22 years away from him. So he didn't see his son Yosef for 22 years to make up for that 22 years. That's he was dead on top of it. That's right. And he was away, yeah. So he was, but it took 22 years since Yosef left him until Yosef came back, till he got to see Yosef. That calculation, even though it's at the end, is pretty easy. Because in the Pasuk, and again, this is not in today's, it's not in next week, it's in Vayeshev. So we're Vayetzev, Vayishlach, Vayeshev. In Vayeshev, it says that Yosef was 17 years old 
when he was being a shepherd together with his brothers, and that's when the story of the brothers took place. So we know that Yosef was 17 years old then, at that time, when they sold him. We also know that when Yosef became the viceroy, second in the command to Pharaoh, the verse states later on, that's already in the uh, portion of Miketz, it says over there that Yosef was 30 years old. So we know that he was 17 years old when he was sold, and we know that he was 30 years old when he became the second in command. So that gives us 13 years. So we know from 17 to 30, he was uh, in Egypt. He was sold, and then in Egypt, till he became the second command. Then we also read in the Torah that there was seven years in which there was plentiful. Mm-hmm. Seven years. And then uh, it says when the two years of when the hungers came, started coming, and then the brothers came to meet him. And then finally, he reveals himself to his brothers. So the Prosik says over there, go home to my father, to Jacob, tell him that I'm still alive, and bring him up here, because two years of the hunger have already passed, and there's still yet five more years to come. And Yaakov agrees to come back. So we see that is actually... um, nine years that is actually nine years so from the age of uh, from 17 till 30 uh, plus the nine years that's 22 years that's from them that's 22 years and at the end of 22 years he came and he met up with Yosef but it's a little bit more to figure out now let's figure out that we know Yosef was, that was the punishment that it says that Yaakov didn't get to see Yosef. And that was because Yaakov was away from his father for 22 years. So let's figure that out. So we know that that's also pretty straightforward because we know that Yaakov spent first, when he came to Laban, to, to, to when he came to Laban, the agreement was that he's going to work for seven years for Rachel. That was the agreement. And when the seven years came, and he didn't see Laban making any preparation for a wedding or anything else. He had other ideas. So Yaakov approached him. He says, what about, where's my wife? Where's my Rachel? So anyway, so he responds. And then we know that instead of Rachel, he gave him Leah. So that was for the seven years. So the next morning, when after the thing uh, happened, he realizes now it's Leah. So he goes back to, to Laban. You know, he says, why did you trick me? After all the, we made all these commitments and all these uh, uh, this, the, uh, agreements that we're going to, this is what I'm working for. Why did you cheat me? Oh, he says, we, we don't marry off the... Younger one before the older one. Now he's the tzaddik over here. He says, we don't marry the older one before the younger one. He says, if you are in agreement, I'll let you. Let's wait for the week of Sheva Brachas, seven days. That's how we learn Sheva Brachas, actually. It was from this Pasuk. And we'll wait for seven days. We also learned that you don't mix two, two simchas together because you wait for this one. And then we'll give you Rachel too. 
you will make another Sheva Brachas, and then you will work for me for another seven years for her. So now, for Leah, he ended up working before he married her. Now for Rachel, he gave her now for another. Yes, sir. Okay, so I'm, I'm done. Where are the Sheva Brachas? I don't even know what that Okay, is. okay, great. Sorry. Okay, it's my fault. Sheva Brachas today is commonly means the seven blessings that we do after marriage for the seven days. Like the seven days after the marriage, we have a week that we celebrate the wedding, basically. Okay. And we call that Sheva Brachot, which means the seven blessings, because there are special seven blessings we do in honor of the Chatan and the Kala. And that's in this parsha. This parsha doesn't take clearly Sheva Brachot, it says a week of celebration. So okay. we learn about the festivities of the wedding takes place a whole week okay. after that. that that's but also, we say seven blessings under the chuppah. Under the chuppah, too. That I know, so then we take it, and then what people do is every single night for one week, somebody will make like a dinner for the new bride and oh, so Yeah, nice. and then at the end, after they do the, the katanazon, they say the seven blessings again. So for every single night, they do a meal and blessings and the seven blessings. So the fast American way of the saying is Sheva Brachas. But it really is Sheva Seven Brachot Blessings that they take. Thank not, you. Not everyone, I mean, most people you know, like to do it. By the time you get to the third night, they're, they're blind. Mm-hmm. You know, they're all right. Leave us alone. <laughs> Leave us alone. <laughs> Leave us alone. <laughs> exactly. Um, exactly. Okay, so. Thank you. Okay, so now we have. So, and then he actually. Um, gives him uh, Rachel, and he continues working for him for another seven years. Now, once those seven years are up, uh, Joseph says to, uh, uh, Jacob says to Laban, he says, okay, listen, I worked for you for 14 years, and now I got to work for my own family. He says, um, so he says, no, 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 stay, 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 stay. What, What is it that you want. They make an agreement. Of course, Laban never stuck to the agreement. He changed it all the time, but he stayed there for another six years with Laban. How do we know this? Because at the end of that time, that period, the verse tells us, this goes on later on towards the end of the Parsha, that towards the end, he actually quietly packs up all of his stuff. He consults with his wives and with his children, and they just dash. They make a run for it. They just leave they don't tell anything, and they run. Lovin finds out, and he comes chasing them, and he catches up with them, and you know, and he, and Laban again says, uh, "Why'd you leave? You ran away. If you want to go, uh, you should allow me to kiss my children and my grandchildren." You know, blah, 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 you know makes the whole thing, and um, and finally, uh, you know, who stole my idols? She, because Rachel actually took his idols. Who stole my idols? But that was the whole, whole encounter there. And finally, Yaakov spilled it all out. He spilled out all his anguish of all these years that he had to work with him. And the verse gives, you know, some... And he says to him, look, I've worked for you 14 years for your two daughters, six years for your sheep. You've changed 10 times. And Rich says, 10 times, 10 times. You've changed hundreds of times. Whatever you we made up, you would change it and you would come in and I was cold in the winter and hot in the summer, and, you know, and I worked you faithfully, and I never, uh, you know, failed any time. If there was a, uh, a bad, uh, something happened to one of the sheep, I had to pay for it, you know, I was treated terribly. 
But the verse clearly states, he tells him that I worked 14 years for your daughters and six years for the sheep. So now we see that he worked for him for 20 years. So now we know that he was there for 20 years. Now, after that encounter, he encounters, he finally leaves that, he encounters Asaph over there. Asaph, his brother, now is trying to attack him. And that's that, that whole story. But it says after that story, it says Yaakov continued his journey back home. He was going back home. And in the verse, it sort of states that he, he built, he made Sukkot, and he made a home, and he made Sukkot. As Rashi points out over there, those represent the three seasons, because it took him, uh, Sukkot is in the, in the spring, and the houses are, what? In the fall, or in the spring, meaning when the weather is nice, but these represent the, uh, the, doesn't mean the holiday of Sukkot, it just means actually in the spring when there is the nice weather, and a house you built, it says he was 18 months there, plus another four months, so you got another full year, so 22 years, then, then he comes back home in the end, like I said before, in the end he comes back home, so that's 22 years. So, so far, everything seems like, you know, pretty much uh, makes sense. The problem is that we actually run into a problem, uh, it actually seems that Yaakov, we have proof, we have evidence, that Yaakov was actually away an additional 14 years. Not only was he away for this 22 years that we just figured out, but we have evidence that he was away an additional 40 years. Because, an additional 14 years. Because when, you remember when we spoke about when Yaakov came to Egypt, when Joseph brought him down, Yaakov is presented to Pharaoh. Yosef uh, presents Yaakov to Pharaoh. And Pharaoh asks Yaakov, how old are you? Yaakov says, I'm 130 years old. Now, we have to prove this also. We'll prove it. But we know that Yaakov was 63 years old when he left his home. That at Vayetze Yaakov, at our parsha that we're starting to talk now, Yaakov was old, 63 years old. So, if you count from 63 to 130, from 63 to 130, um, okay, but you will see from 63, okay, so let me just say to you, we're going to go through the math in a minute, but the problem is going to be that based on the story of the Chumash, we have 14 years missing over here, which means we don't have, if we go through everything that we just spoke before, and we're going to go through inside, you're going to see that it doesn't add up. From 63 to 130, uh, according to our calculation, Yaakov should just be 117. If you follow the 14 years, and when Yosef, because if you, if you see, we just said before, Yosef was born after seven years that he was by Laban. By Laban, right? After seven years. Why and then not? you have seven. Then Yosef. Why not even? Seven. Because. He didn't get pregnant right away, though. That's what I'm saying. 
No. Um, she was an Akara, so he worked for the, the Akara was before, yeah. He worked for well, seven six, years. Six years he worked for her. No, okay, you know, you, seven you're, years. you're actually right. From when Yosef was born, I, I take that back. From when Yosef was born, he was already 14 years in Egypt because he started. When did Yaakov come to Lavan and tell Lavan, I want to work for my family now. I've done my work for my wives, for your daughters. Now I want to. That happened as soon as Yosef was born. Okay. So we know that he was 14 years when Yosef was born. Okay. If you add the 39 years when Yosef was born, right? Uh, because we said 30 years that Yosef became the viceroy, right? He was 30 years old. We know that, right? The 30 years from when he became. In the, plus the nine years till he meets up with his father. So that would make it 39. If you're going to add the 14, right? So it's 39 and 14, so that would make it 54. Well, what, uh, 53. So that would make it 53. Good, excellent. So that's 53 years. So that means um, that and if you add 53 and 63, how much is that? 116. Is 116. But he says to Pharaoh, I'm 130. 14 years are not accountable. He says I'm 130, but he was really only 116. How did he have, how did he turn all of a sudden to 130? Again, so that, 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 that is quite clear. I mean, that's the, you know, the calculation is quite clear again. He was 14 years already by Lovon before he started to, before Yosef was born. Yosef was 30 years old when he became viceroy. That was 39 years, so we notice 53. So it comes out to, from, so since uh, Yaakov went, uh, from Yaakov, the time that Yaakov went to Lovon, until he met up with Yosef, uh, met up with Pharaoh, that was 53 years later. If he was 63, we haven't established that yet, but if he was 63, then he would be one, uh, what did you say, how much was it? 116. 116, 116. they're still missing the 14 years. Yeah. Okay. So those are the mystery 14 years. Now, those 14 years, we're going to learn, was before he started. Yes, we have evidence that he was 63. I have to say about how does he ever, how do you know that he was 63? But, um, but what we're going to say is that as soon as he left Yaakov, he left Beersheba, he didn't go right away to Choron. He detoured for 14 years. It says he hid, hid maybe because uh, Asa was trying to kill him, but he hid in the academy of Aver. Aver was known as the academy, the Talmudic scholars. They were Shame and Aver. Aver was a grandson of Shame. He hid over there for 14 years. Now, those 14 years aren't recorded in the Torah. Why are they not recorded in the Torah? Because the Torah doesn't want to sort of tell us that Yaakov is away for now not only 22 years, now he ends up being away for 36 years. That's even more than we know for. But the other thing, the most important message over here is that for those 14 years he weren't punished. He was only punished for the 22 years that we know about in the Pasuk, we say. But those 14 years are sort of because he was sitting and studying Torah. Yeah. So why 
would that not count? I mean, even the other thing, he went to find a wife, his mother told him to go there. That was a mitzvah too, and still they count. Because it seems like at the end of the day, he didn't do the mitzvah, so he was still punished for that. How come when he was studying Torah? So maybe the answer is, that is actually maybe the honor of the parents, because the parents, if the uh, son is successful and is doing, is studying Torah in the academy of Abraham, that's not a disrespect. That's actually the parents. This is an honor of the parents. I have another dumb question. And yes, and well, the Torah hasn't been given to us yet, but it is still verbal Torah that he was learning. Yes, that's a very good question. They knew the Torah and they were studying it way, way. It says Avram Yeshiv, all these rabbis were, were sitting and studying Torah. This is not, by the way, the first instance that we say that they were studying Torah. This is found throughout the... the, the After Abraham, though? Uh, actually, starting from Abraham specifically, but it goes back to the sons of Noah, the so sons of Shem and Abraham, Abraham, right, yeah. That's why Shem was the son of Noah. He was... Knew the Torah and like exactly the way we know the Torah and like... Not sure exactly, but uh, it seems like they knew the Torah. Now, uh, just uh, so to divert for a second, we have to understand when we say the Torah, with the Torah is God's wisdom. That's mm-hmm. God's will and God's wisdom. Mm-hmm. Now, it's unconceivable that we human beings uh, can even have uh, an imagination understanding the infinite wisdom and the intu- intellect of God. You know, how could, and we're talking about physical and very material examples, you know, we're talking about very physical mundane. Is this God's depth? And the answer is that, you know, above it's in a much higher spiritual level, but this is a, uh, Shem has put himself into sort of that in our state, we grasp it on this level. Mm-hmm. So perhaps the study of Torah in, in, uh, in other forms would also include maybe deeper understandings, maybe they were on a different level, maybe, but it was still the same will and wisdom of Hashem. I'm not sure how to manifest itself specifically in exactly same materialistic and physical things that we do today. Maybe it was more on a spiritual level. But the interesting thing is the, uh, the paradox. On one side, we say um, that he wasn't punished for that. Mm-hmm. And it was, but yet the Torah doesn't disclose that like openly. Mm-hmm. So that means uh, the Torah doesn't want to you know, put it out on the headlines saying that Yaakov was really away for uh, 36 years. Torah wants to, that's sort of, you got to study and you got to figure that out and then you'll come to that realization. The Torah wants to tell you the study was only 22 years mm-hmm. and they were also excusable. But Notwithstanding, some things are excusable, but you still didn't do the mitzvah. But the study of Torah was more than just excusable. It sort of was a way of honoring the parents, and that's why the Torah doesn't even bring it up and sort of, sort of, sort of hides it and doesn't tell us about it. If you'll figure it out, you'll see that he was missing for those years, and yet that was the. Um, uh, so what we see here, uh, what it means to honor one's parents. And in this case, honoring one's parents was not just like picking up the phone or saying hello, sending a text message. <laughs> uh, you know, 
being there for them, to help them, you know, to serve them, to be there, to actually physically be there. And uh, Esav, in the beginning he did stay, but he moved on to Adam, and he says he came back over there. He was, he was in the neighborhood, put it this way. Yeah. He was in the neighborhood. Uh, I'm thinking that um, uh, Lavan uh, was brought down, there was like a 17-day journey, uh, generally speaking, from Canaan, from where they were. They were Hebron, Beersheba, they sort of interchangeable, you know, it says they left from Beersheba. But when he came back to his father, he came back to Hebron. Hebron, Beersheba, there was always in between those or the places. At some point it says that they had uh, stretched their field all the way from Hebron to Beersheba, they had to go there. So they were both in both areas. Uh, but I say when he left, it says he left Beersheba. But when he came back, it says he came back to Hebron, to his father in Hebron. So, uh, but the Esau um, um, was, uh, I mean, he was around. It looks like that uh, maybe he didn't have a right to, um, to come home. Levin didn't live. He was working. He was uh, busy. It was like a sweatshop over there. He didn't have a, he didn't have a chance. It also seems like a little bit... Um, uh, Rashi points out uh, in today's Pasha, it says uh, it was like a few days because he loved her so much, so even though he worked for seven years, it was like but mm-hmm. it was like a few days. Mm-hmm. And But Rashi makes a, po- a point because when his mother says, you'll go for a few days, for a little bit of time, and I'll come back and I'll take you there. So this is sort of a hint that Yaakov didn't really overstay his his commitment to his mother when she sent him, she said it was only for a limited time. But then it sort of extended after love and tricked him, and he was already worked with uh, with with Rachel. And one can argue, I mean, as the Rebbe points out in a different discussion, um, it's another another discussion over that over here. But uh, how is it that uh, Jacob ended up marrying two sisters, which was something which the law prohibits. Uh, now, if Jacob was observing the laws, as it seems that it was, and we have uh, various different indications and hints of the Torah that Jacob did observe all the laws. As a matter of fact, Rashi even brings down a commentary that he observed all the 613 uh, love and garti, that he kept the 613 mitzvot, he did all the mitzvot. So how did he marry two sisters? The Rebbe gives uh, one idea over there. It's a long discussion. But one of the ideas the Rebbe points out is that um, Lavan, uh, uh, Yaakov, promised Rachel that he's going to marry her. And he was going to break her heart if he didn't marry her. Now, even though uh, Lavan made a trick and gave him Leah, and, okay, she, Rachel played along, uh, no choice, because Rachel says, because Yaakov didn't really trust Lavan, you know, he made up, he says, Rachel, bitcha haktana, he says, Rachel, your daughter, don't bring me another Rachel from the street, and he says, well, you're going to change the name, haktana, the younger one, this is the one I want, and still he changed it, <laughs> it, didn't, it didn't help him, he tried, but on top of that, he made up with Rachel, uh, signs so that he would know that it's Rachel. 
And Rachel, right before the chuppah, she saw that her sister's going to be embarrassed because she didn't know the design, she didn't know the makeup. She went and told Leah what she made up with. She told Leah what she made up with Jacob. But the point what Rebbe says is, uh, when somebody makes a commitment, it's a very important, um, I get lessons also, it's a very important lesson. You know, sometimes we want to make uh, a very uh, strong commitment, uh, something like we feel like we want to do something, but if our commitment uh, is going to be hurting another person, uh, maybe somebody else is going to be uh, suffering. So let's say a husband one time decides, well, he's going to stop his work, he's going to sit and learn Torah a whole day, and he's not going to work. You know, well, that's a very noble decision. With your family, you have to provide for your family. You know that's that's so. If you want to be righteous and you want to do the right things, control your own self, control your ego, do things in the right way. That's very commendable. But if you're going to become very super religious, but somebody else is going to be suffering, you know, you got to think twice because you have to make the sacrifice if that's what you want to do. But you don't offer somebody else's sacrifice for your level that you want to do. In a way, Yaakov, the doing of the mitzvahs, was something that he took upon himself because he was righteous. It wasn't something that he was obliged to do. He didn't have to do the mitzvahs because it was before the Torah was given. But if observing the mitzvah came into conflict with and a situation where somebody else would get hurt, somebody else would suffer because of that, somebody's feelings would be hurt, and somebody would end up paying the price, then it wasn't the right thing for Yaakov to do the mitzvahs then and that, that, that particular uh, situation. Mm-hmm. So it turns out, because he promised Rachel, and because he already made a commitment to her that he's going to marry her, and not marrying her would cause her a great deal of anguish and, 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 and hardship and uh, pain. So he was more important in that case to give up his righteousness of doing all the mitzvahs, even though he ends up marrying two sisters, but at least to be able to do what's right for the other people around him. Perhaps, I'm just saying by extension, that's the same idea that even though he committed to his mother, and Rashi says it, that he... It was just a several days. Now, technically, after the year, after the seven years, he should go back home. That was his commitment to his mother. But maybe along those same lines, because he promised uh, Rachel, and because uh, he didn't want to hurt her, and he had no choice, basically. It all boils down to the same thing, that it wasn't his fault, and he's still punished for that. Yeah, okay, instead. But I'm just saying, but that was probably the reason. And then again, and then we have the other, uh, the other, um, the other six years. I mean, he needed to do it for his living, so it was almost, he had no choice. So it extended to that time. And that's a good point, actually, that still, notwithstanding all these good reasons that he had, the Torah tells us now, we're not, the Torah is not telling us. So we think of Yaakov uh, bad about him that he didn't do it. Tell us how much we should cherish and how much we should take the opportunity to do our mitzvah properly because look how it means. Even something like Yaakov who was sent there and had to do that and still, you know, he was punished in a way that he ended up missing his son. 
you know, they um, they usually say that it was um, uh, it was a, a wealthy uh, a wealthy person, and when his parents got older, uh, he had no choice, so he took him into the house and. Uh, and uh, but instead of giving him like a, a room like a mansion, they gave him like something in the in the in the back over there, which wasn't you know so nice like the rest of the place. And, the, and you know he was missing a lot of the things. You know, he lived in a really beautiful place. He, he treated his his parents a little bit not as well as he treated himself. And then he um, he. Um, he uh, one day he sees his son, you know, was playing and he's playing house and everything else, and he's building from the Lego set and he's building, uh, and he sees he built this nice beautiful house, and then in the end he's, uh, he built this dilapidated uh, piece at the end of the Lego. So the father says, he said, "What's that for?" Yeah. He says, "That's for when you get older." He says, "That's where I'm going to put you." He says, "So what I'm trying to say here is, the Torah's message is not just like." Yaakov was punished for leaving his father. But it's basically telling him, look, I mean, your children are going to treat you the way you treat your parents. I mean, it's basically what comes around goes around. I mean, if you are going to not be there for your parents, then you should know your children are not going to be there for you. <laughs> so it's not just like a punishment, uh, something outside. He was punished for you. But actually, by the same thing, it was like a meter. Can I get meter? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And um, so, and I, I guess, like everything else, the Torah tells us to us is to, because maybe we are, you know, a little selfish. So maybe if we know that it's for us, I'll tell you another. Um, uh, there's a um, story about a um, was a carpenter who. Um, who worked for a contractor, and he, he did all of his, for many years, he did all of his uh, buildings, and he did beautiful work for him. But it came to time, the carpenter got old, and he said to the contractor, he says, look, I can't work anymore, I gotta retire. And then, okay, he says, look, you know, you worked for me, so, you know, I respect everything you did, you know, you worked faithfully all these years, we had a great working relationship, he says. He says, but do me one more favor. He says, before you retire, he says, I want you to build me one more house. Oh, but I really don't want to, you know, I'm done. He says, but he begged him. So he said, okay. He says, he didn't have the heart to. This guy provided for his livelihood. He gave him all this work all these years. And he's begging him to do one more house. He says, okay, I'll do it. But he was really not into it anymore. He was with the grandchildren and he was, you know, he had other things in his head. He didn't want to do it. So, you know, the work, instead of being uh, you know, perfect like he used to do it, it, was, you know, it wasn't the best nails, it wasn't the best shingles, it wasn't the best uh, uh, plywood, it wasn't nothing, you know, everything was made. Everything was made like sort of just half-heartedly. Okay, finish the house. Okay, so the, um, the, the contractor says, you know, you're leaving now, thank you very much. He says, we're going to make a party for all the people. He said, goodbye to you. He says, as a token for my appreciation, he says, I'm giving you a gift, a house that you just... <laughs> he said, I give out. He says, what did I do? He says, if I would only know that I'm building my own home. I mean, I'd be careful. I'd be watch. I would take, make sure that everything is the best material. And he says, he says, you're building. We're building our own homes. Then. So when 
we give honor when we give honor to our parents. We're we're we're, we're building ourselves. It's not like we're uh, building it for somebody else. You know, if we do that, I mean, then that's the way uh, we'll be treated. You know, I mean, because kids learn by example, and that's what that's what the that's what the important thing is. So, in any event, we should move a lot today. We're up to it, six forty-four, really. Okay, so let's just uh, let's just go through a little bit inside here, and we can read. Okay, so the first question is. Is I think we, we covered outside a lot of the concepts, but let's look inside now. It says, where did Yaakov journey from? So, from Beersheba, we know that. And where did Yaakov live for 20 years? In Haran, with Laban. That place was called Haran, in Laban. It's definitely 17 days away. And it's further up. It's north. Yeah. It's north of Israel. Yeah, I, I taught all this actually today in my class, and we... So I said, maybe you should uh, no, give the so class. When he gives the class, on my board, it's seven and seven, and the kids are like, wow, 14 years? But they were also, they were bothered. They said, no, no, he was busy building a family and working and having children. Why should he get punished for that? Yeah. And like, sometimes I can't satisfy the kids. You know, like, they're like, it's black and white. So they're okay, now, then, how long did Yaakov travel to get back to Eretz Yisrael? Was it 18 months plus the other four months? Yep, those 18 months. How long was Yaakov away from his father Yitzchak? Mm, 36 years. But here it's going to be 22 or 36. That's the tricky question. It's either 22 or 36. Mm-hmm. In the Pasuk, it's 22, mm-hmm. as we went through the calculations. And in reality, it was actually 36, additional 40. So let's do, let's do a read. We have a small crowd, so we can just go around the table and read a little bit mm-hmm. over here. Okay. Yaakov? You start, okay? Yaakov left Beersheba and he went to Haran. And he arrived at the place and lodged there because the sun had set. And he took some of the stones of the place and placed them at his head and he lay down in that place. Okay, and so now you say, okay, so how long did it take Yaakov from the time he left Beersheba until he came to Haran? It's a tricky question. What is the answer to that question? Well, he did 14 years of study. It took him 14 years. It took him 14 years. So now, I want to point... It doesn't say that he's arrived by Yitka, by Makom. Hold on one second. Now, this is already... He's this, on the way. This is already after the 14 years. The Torah doesn't account for. Look, look, look at the next point, the next sentence. I said, notice, the verse states, and he went to Haran, not he came to Haran. He was on his way. Which means he left to go to Haran. He took a detour for, 40, for 14 years. Rashi says that he was going to Haran, but it doesn't mean that he had Why is it possible? Why do you say that it's a detour? Why can you just say that Yaakov left Beersheba and he's on his way to Haran? Yeah, but why does the Torah have to tell you that he's on, her, on his way to Haran at this point? Mm-hmm. And why doesn't it say that he came to Haran? So it seems like, it seems like I was on his way. That's what Rashi points out, but that's not the only evidence for that. Because the next evidence is from the next verse. Why does the verse say, and he laid down in that place, instead of saying he laid down there? Another place it says he laid there. What is he laid in that place? That's an emphasis. That over there he laid down. With the 14 years that he spent in the yeshiva of Avery, he didn't sleep. He was immersed the whole time in study. That's what the Torah says, something new. He slept over there. This was his first time over there. So how do we know that Yaakov spent 14 years in the yeshiva of Aver before he went to Haran. That's what we're going to learn about. We're going to see in the verse how it actually says that it's 14 years. The verse is, the proof we're going to have at the end of the day is because 
since Jacob was 130 when he tells Pharaoh, and when you add up the years, it only uh, is 14 years missing over there, and that's how we know that it was 14 years. Now, the one thing we didn't say, and maybe we should concentrate on that, because that's not even in here, but we're all making the assumption, we're all basing the assumption that Yaakov was 63 years old when he left Beersheba. Now, the question is, why are we saying that? Why aren't we saying that Yaakov was the 14 years, maybe Yaakov didn't leave when he was 63, maybe Yaakov left when he was 77. And he left 77, he never went to, we, we didn't bother even proving that, that's not, that didn't come up to the discussion. We just took it for, you took my word for it. I said that Yaakov was 63 years old when he left. Who says? Then we say 63 and 53, uh, is lacking 14 years to 130. That's how we had the discrepancy. But the question is, who says that Yaakov was 63 years old? Maybe Yaakov was 77, 14 years. Yeah. Okay. No, but that's a what? Yeah, but that's an easy way. I could have told you Chazal say so. But the question is, where where is the evidence? How did Chazal know this? Where did they know this from? So I'm just going to tell you that because it's not in here, and most of what it says here we covered in the, in the in the discussion, and then we'll see how much we can discuss cover inside. Um, the um, the thing is like this. Um, Rashi asks in the end of uh, the portion of Chayisara. Over there, the Torah says that Yishmael lived for 137 years. Rashi says, "Who cares how long Yishmael lived for?" They say, what, what, "What do we need to know how long Yishmael lived for?" Rashi says the reason why we need to know how long Yishmael lived for is because we want to calculate really how old Yitzchak was at the time of, uh, of Yishmael's death. We need to know how that he was 137. That's how we'll know how old Yitzchak was at that time. Um, so that's what we need to know because basically... Good. Okay, we'll get there in a minute. But 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 we're we're talking about from Yishmael's uh, from Yishmael's de- death when Yishmael died. Uh, this is besides all the but we know from how Yishmael is. So that we have to back up some of the years. One second. We we know that um, at the time that Yaakov left Vayetze Yaakov that we're talking now, that was around the period when Yishmael died. How do we know that? Uh, how do we know that? Um, that would make him a lot older. No, 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 I take that back. No, one second, I'm, I'm confusing something here, just one second. Um, Yeah. Oh. Not really. He must have been forty, because it's, he had his birth oh, when he was thirteen. Yeah, he was. He was. He, he was, was fourteen years older. Fourteen now. because fourteen years older than him. When he was thirteen. Which which brings us to another um, which yeah. be another question, in the verse it says that that he oh, this is really what it was it was getting at. He, he turned out that Yishmol was either fifty when he went bad and then thirteen. That was because. If, if, if you figure out uh, the ages of it. But, but let's, I don't want to get involved in one more thing. 
because the calculation seems to be that um, it seems like um, it seems like Aesov. Um, it seems like Aesov. Question is, was Aesov thirteen or Aesov was fifteen? When Aesov went bad, it seems like uh, it says that Hashem. Um, it says like Hashem took him away. That Yitzchak was supposed to live for 180 years, but he only ended up living 175 years. Avram, I'm sorry. Let me take that back. Avram, that Yeah, he shouldn't go. He shouldn't see his grandson. Right? The all these numbers. All these numbers. Avram was supposed to live for 180. So he shouldn't see him going out. Tarvis Row, yeah. And they say, hey, how come he lived less? No, he and because five years was taken five years from so Abraham's life, so we shouldn't see how his grandson was destroyed. Abraham do? He didn't what? do anything wrong, but he shouldn't see the way his grandson. That was actually to his benefit. He would cause him a lot of pain. Oh, okay. Yeah, but the question is, um, was Ace of fifteen at the time, or Ace of was thirteen at the time? But then, like that, the question because there's is, a contradiction. Like Nancy says, so what did Abraham's fault? You know what I'm saying? Okay, but 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 you know, I mean, that's a question in all the in all these um, these, these events were manipulated by God, so there's right. no question. And some of these events they just took place. You know, I mean, why did brother sell Yosef and then everybody went? I mean, it was Hashem's hand, you know, as we see later on. Maybe at the time they exercised the free choice, but so they are they have to they're guilty for their choices, but still Hashem wanted. Everyone wanted these things to take place, so these things had to take place. So, and what did Esau do wrong? What did, what did he do? Oh, he was, you know, he was, he was doing a lot of things wrong. He was uh, worshiping idols, and uh, it, it says that. In the it, yeah, and the pasuk says that um, um, it says by he. It doesn't say clear. It says by Yos by Esau. It says he was Ishidei Etzayid, and uh, that he was a hunter. And he would, or a deceiver, as Rashi says it also. And uh, and Yaakov was a simpleton, you know, sitting there. Yaakov the one that really deceived his father. Really. Oh, well, that's, you know. Uh, <laughs> so that's interesting, too. No, well, if you, but, but if you think about it for one second, we talked about it this last week, actually. Um, if you think about it, I mean, we're going from one topic to the other one. I want to get back for a minute, but, um, but if you think about it, you know, they show you the pictures in uh, how Israelis are killing Palestinian kids. Are they killing Palestinian kids? No. Well, you know, depending on what they put them, you know, they put them in front of there, they put them, you know, they and they make. So, in other words, um, you can't just see what's on the surface. You have to look a little deeper and see what's really going on. And if you see just like that, Asov tricked his father, not Yaakov. Esau pretended, because Esau wasn't. Esau was a Russian, he was evil, and he would trick his father. He would ask his father all kinds of religious questions. He dressed a religious garb. He looked like a, a pious man. He had all these wonderful questions. He even fed his father, but he did all this because he wanted to deceive his father. He didn't deserve the blessings. And Yaakov, on the other hand, he just did his thing. He didn't he didn't manipulate people, he didn't deceive people, he didn't, 
try to pretend what he's not. He just lived a straight, he was but a straight if, shooter. If, if Yaakov really deserved the blessings of the Bukhar, the birthright, then he should have been the Bukhar. Wait a minute, but that's one second. No, but that's, 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 that's another, another good question. But I want to ask you a second, one thing question. Yaakov deserved the blessings because he was the righteous one. Right. And Yitzchak would have given it to Yaakov had he not been deceived right. by, by Esau. So, and that's why at the end he actually said, let him be blessed. Because he actually wanted him to get the, the blessings. The point what I'm trying to say is, even though in the Pasuk he ended up getting the blessing, but again, it's like saying somebody's trying to rob you and you take away what belongs rightfully yours and somehow you find a way of saving yours and then you say, oh, well, you tricked him. No, I didn't trick him. Well, like, they could say, like, they, I mean, that the fact that he sold his birthright for the bowl of lentils, you know what I mean, for the soup, the soup, could that hold enough to say that he actually sold it? Okay, so the whole question of how was it sold, is it really, does it constitute a sale, uh, a legitimate, how do you sell uh and, and what does it mean? And there was no service over there. There was no, there was no. But it's, it's more mostly understood conceptually. Yeah, of course, there's all kinds of halachic and people figured out, you know, whether it would work or not work. It's something that has and whether, is there a contract? Does it really work? Does it help? Those are just academic kind of discussion. But in the very simple context so, over so here, here, Aesop. No, if he knew, would those blessings been given to Yaakov if he knew that Esau was really not? Let me, let me just say that. Yaakov, when, when Yitzchak gives the blessings, it gives it with God's approval. You don't give blessings. Blessing means, what does a blessing mean? A blessing means that you're blessing the person that God should give you. It's not that he's giving you something. He's saying to God. So what, what value would it really be if it's not the right person, you're giving something right. So you can say that you're, that you're getting this or the other thing. It wouldn't, it wouldn't be of any value. Yeah. So therefore, we have to say that he actually deserved the blessing. It wasn't that he didn't deserve yeah. the blessing. And he really got it because he deserved it. It was the other one. He was, they, they, they had a propaganda machine, just like the Palestinians. They're saying the whole, everybody's so, telling us, so we, we are the killers and they're the good people, the you know? I mean, they twisted it around. That's the answer to your question. Yeah. That's the answer to your question. That's why. Okay. I'll give it up. Thank you. That's that that is reminded to you. Uh, the uh, the um, But that's but that's precisely what it is. That in order for us, the world, Hashem placed himself in a way that he's not openly seen in the world. And we have to sort of discover him. And we have to see and find how even things look like the garments of Esau and things look like, and we have to get out the blessing from there. That really means that we can't be uh, deterred, or we can't be tricked, we can't be fooled of what's going around us. Because when you look at the world, and sometimes you look at a person, you know, they say that a person has a special ability. They'll look at us. They'll look at a house. They'll say they don't see what it looks like now. It can be run down. It can be in shambles. They can see now 
what that can be. They, they, have, they have a vision. You show them something, they don't look at it what it's there. Right. It doesn't matter. They can see. When you look at a Jew, and sometimes you look at them, they look, they look like they're, they're no, no value. But the Rebbe looked at a Jew, he can see. He didn't see, you know, maybe they're not interested in Yiddishkeit, maybe they're not part of anything. He saw what they could be. And he saw the potential, and he saw and that, yeah, what could be made. He had for everybody, like, yeah. So the point here is, mm-hmm. we need to know that there's big I days. Knew them. I yeah. feel at a loss. You know, through us a little bit. Yeah, I oh, yeah. we'll have to watch the other videos. Oh, yeah. And look through, but that's what he's saying. That's why Hashem is telling Yaakov, actually, this is the story. It makes a lot of sense. Because Yaakov, you know, look. Don't get you. Sometimes you gotta put on those garments. You gotta look like, and that's the way you're gonna work this world. I mean, right. because you're in this world, you know, you know, yeah. you're gonna use some of the tools of when this you, world. You see that Yaakov was very worldly savvy when he worked with Lovin. He knew what he had to do every time he's changing the deals. Lovin, mm-hmm. Yaakov knew how to outsmart Lovin. I think he was apprehensive, and he was actually in Ishtam. But he had enough in himself. He was a simpleton in the sense that he straight shooter. But he wasn't a fool. But he wasn't a fool. He was enough to know who he's dealing with. But yet, he, he tricked him all this time. Yeah, love and tricked ended up tricking him. Love and ended up tricking him all these years. Well, yeah, and he, he ended up tricking him. And another one he had to work. And, and he had to pick up. He sort of had to run away to get away from his corpses. Right, right. Um, so... The, the thing is like this, that at the time that Yish, that Esau got married the second time, um, which means he already married first and he, he married from the Hittite women around him, but then he saw that his father didn't like uh, the Hittite people because he's sending away uh, Rivka saying to Yitzchak, to her husband, if my son Yaakov is going to marry any of these women, I am disgusted in my life. Send them away to my family. She said, like "What?" You get like a feeling of who she was. Yeah. And what was so then, Yishma, then, then Rivka goes and marries a daughter of Yishmael. She says, "Okay, they don't like the Chitite women." He took an addition to his wife, Esav. Esav marries Yishmael. Now, it's a funny thing over there. It says that uh, he married the daughter. He married uh, uh, the daughter of Yishmael, who was the sister. It says, Achish Nevoyot, the sister of Nevayot. Who's this Nevayot? Nevayot, we learned before, was Yishmael's older son. So all the son was named. The Torah lists some of their older children of Yishmael. In the end of Parshchai Sora, over there it says Nevayot was one of the sons, the oldest one. Mm-hmm. So Rashi asks, why did Nevayot marry? Why does he have to say Nevayot, the sister? We know it was a, if it was the daughter of Yishmael, it was the sister of Nevayot. We don't have to say that it was his Nevayot. Rashi says because he actually married her off, the older brother, he married her off. He was the one in charge. Because that period, Yishmael died. Because that was the period that Yishmael died. So now we know that Yishmael died during that period. Now, if Yishmael died during that period, and Yishmael 
Shmuel was 137. So that places Yitzchok. That places Yitzchok 14 years younger than that. That would mean what? That I would. I mean, that places Yitzchok. Yeah, 123. One second. He was 123. But one second. Since uh, 60 years old. Sixty, so he was hundred, and so was so sixty. That's was sixty-three. That's how we get to the sixty-three. That's why the Torah tells us that he was. That's why the Torah tells us how old Yishmael was. To, to when he died, and then we have to figure out, and then we see the one, and then we. Yeah. We do. 